There are just a number of other things. Some of those things you can see in your program. What I want to do is, is look at Jude tonight, this book, this letter. You ever, you ever read a book and you get to the end of it and you kind of are just feeling a little bummed as you come to the last few pages? You just kind of wish it would go on a little bit longer? Well, I have to say that happens in, in my life as a pastor when I go through a series and I start coming to the, you know, I come to the last message and I go, oh, Jude, I wish you'd have written just a little bit more. That's not really how I felt about the, the letter Jude before I even tackled this and got into it. I thought, you know, I, I'm not even sure why God called me to um, preach on this. And, and yet I knew there were this whole area of truth and, and staying in the truth was important and that we as a body needed to um, kind of deal with and, and look at. But I have to be honest that I, I really wasn't a fan of the book of Jude um, before this. I thought he was so black and white. He was so hellfire and brimstone. And I'm kind of a visionary and kind of gray, and, I, and just my personality is a little different than that. But I have to share with you, as I have um, got to know in this writing, Jesus' half-brother Jude, I am so grateful for him and for this letter that, that God has given us. Because there are truths in here that are powerful, that can change people's lives, our lives, and can keep the church in a healthy place. And so this is kind of this last message on getting a grip on truth. And we're looking at Jude, chapter, verse 23 and 24, chapter 2. No, just kidding. There's no chapter 2. <clears throat> 24 and 25, I'm sorry. 24 and 25. Verse 24 and 25. This is doxology. And I don't know, but if you have had some exposure to the church, and if you haven't, that's fine too, but if you have, you've probably heard this benediction, this blessing. It's one of the most often quoted benedictions in Scripture. But this benediction in verses 24 and 25, isolated from the rest of this letter, as I have been studying this and processing this, loses its force when it's not coupled with what came before. And it becomes particularly meaning when you see the warning about falling away that Jude gives, and then the admonishment, the challenge that he gives in verse 22 to go out and to get close to those who are seemingly walking away from this incredible grace of God. You see, Jude had warned the church about people who claimed to be Christ followers, but then didn't follow Christ's teaching or even the way Jesus lived. And it's that kind of person who says, oh yeah, I follow Christ. And then you watch their life and you, and you go, whoa. In fact, if you look back in this letter, you'll see <clears throat> there are some, a, a couple places. In verse 8, he calls them dreamers who rejected authority. And there are three characteristics that we noted that you will find in a person's life that show you the characteristics of one who is walking away from the grace of God. 
And, and as we go through these three characteristics, you'll notice again that they're the same ones that are found in every person's life when they first come to Christ. These are all probably evident. But the one major difference is that when a person comes to Christ, there is now a conviction. And when a person is convicted, at least over time, they begin to soften their heart and they move towards God in these three areas. But the one who isn't continues just to go further and further. Basically, developing or, or, in a sense, expressing these characteristics that Jude talks about. And so the one he says is dreamers, people who reject authority. There's just an indifference to, to the authority of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to God's Word, and even to God's ordained leaders within the church. <clears throat> they are their own authority, is what Jude says. And they claim all that authority in all kinds of different ways, through special insight that they've been given, dreams. There's all kinds of different ways that they can reject authority. The second thing he does is he goes on and he says in verse 10, he says, yet these men speak abusively against these kind of people in authority. And he's here talking about these angels. And what they, things they do understand by instinct, like reasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy him, them. And he calls them animals who claim to know much by special insight, which they said from the Spirit. But Jude goes on to say, but really, they only know and follow the debased cravings of their own sinful spirit. And so he says they're like animals. They just follow their, their fleshly instincts. So they reject authority. They follow hard after their own flesh. And then he calls them blemishes. Verse 12. They were blemishes on the body of Christ, the church, he says. Literally, Jude called them zits on the face of God's local church in a certain area. That's kind of, I mean, that's the modern day translation and the Meyer translation. You see, when unbelievers looked on them, they didn't see the unblemished faith uh, and, and love of Christ's followers, but instead they saw a group who claimed to follow Jesus but walked over the needs of others because of their own lust and the rejection of authority. And so there, here they are people who are walking according to their own authority. They are following their flesh and they're walking over the needs of people. And he says those are three characteristics you'll see in a person who begins to walk away from God and continues to fall away from the very grace of God. So now after Jude has made that clear that the people who live like that, he says, are destined to hell, which he says up especially in verses um, 5 through verse 7. We come to this last part in verses 17, which we covered this last week, and he says, now here's the way to stay true. And he gives some instructions, the primary one in verse 21, keep yourself in God's love. <clears throat> Remain there. The word is, is in keep is the word to more or less that you're to watch, be watchful as you stay in God's grace. But then in verse 22, he says this, Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by the corrupted flesh. And so in a sense, he says, What I want you to do, those of you who are true followers of Jesus Christ, I, I encourage you to go after and rescue every one of these people who are falling away in the same way that God in His mercy rescued you. And so he says, first sit down with those confused doubters and win them back through truth. That's that first little segment in verse 22. Be merciful to those doubt. Second, he says, warn sternly those through their confusion who have begun to fall away from Jesus. These people are not just thinking about following some false teaching and moving in this direction. They're actually ones who have begun to move in that direction. They're headed down the road. They are already, in a sense, deceived. And he says, these people who are deceived... Go after them like you would go after someone in a house that's burning. Go in there screaming, yelling, get them out. 
And then he makes this last one. He says here, um, to others show mercy mixed with fear. There are some, he says, that are far down the road who are calling even others to follow them. They're not only, they're past the doubting, they're deceived, yes, but even more than that, they've become diseased. It's set in. And these are these false teachers that he's saying. But he doesn't say get rid of them, reject them. He says mercy mixed with fear. In a sense, go after them, but recognize they're spiritual lepers. Just like there were physical lepers in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, they talk about people whose souls can become almost leprous and in a sense contagious. And so he says, be careful, they're contagious. Now that's the backdrop to verse 24 and 25. And you need to know this because Jude states this benediction to counteract the fear that any one of us would have when we hear this and we go, well, could I fall away? Or if I go after someone, and, and could I get infected? Well, maybe I better not because I'm just afraid to do that. And so in a sense, Jude is basically saying to them, encouraging them to go out, be merciful, be gracious, save as many as possible, but live in a deep spiritual confidence as you do it. In a sense, Jude says, get a good, firm grip on this truth. And here it is. Your security, your safety spiritually, your sense of well-being rests on Christ and only on Christ. So take your, your eyes off yourself, your own situation, and even off those rascals who you're called to pursue with mercy mixed with fear. But look up. Fix your eyes and your heart and trust on Jesus, who is your Savior. Look up to Him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before His glorious presence without fault. And I love this. And and with exceedingly excessive joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. He basically says, Jesus is the one who will keep you safe and secure. He is our true security. Note Jude says this, Jesus is able to keep you. The word here is is very similar to the word up in verse 21, but the difference here is not that, that Jesus watches, but the idea that He's a guard who protects. But I want to share with you, the key word here is not even the word guard or the word keep. It's the word able. Jesus is able. It rests on His ability to guard you. And not even on your ability to watch. It does no good if He was to say to Him who will try to keep you. Wouldn't that be a, kind of a bummer? Or if He said to these people and He says, and he says to us, it doesn't help a whole lot to say Paul and Kevin and Steve and some of the other pastors will seek to watch and guard over you. You'd be a little more worried. A lot more worried at home. Or the overseers or other leaders will, will do their best. It doesn't say that. It says, to him, Jesus, who is able. He is able. Because he has the ability within himself to keep you from falling. And I want to just share with you a, a kind of a quick run-through of what God is able to do, what we read in Scripture. It says he is able to save in Hebrews. He's able to establish you. He's able to subdue everything under His power. He is able to keep us in perfect peace. 
He's able to guard what He's entrusted. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we ask or imagine. And so these worried believers, and to us tonight, He says, to those who, who fear that in their attempt they may fall away, He says, get away from even looking at that. Get away from the thought of even those who might trip you up. If you will keep your heart fixed on Him and your trust in Him, He is able to keep you and guard you. And so put your full confidence in Jesus. And as you listen to His voice, submit obediently to His authority and follow His Spirit's instinct in you. As He leads you to love other people, just the opposite of those who are falling away. And Jesus will keep you. That's your true security. Look up, look into the eyes of Jesus, to Him who is able to keep you from falling to present you before the glorious presence without fault and completely clean. Now I want to share with you, if Jesus is calling you or speaking to you to reach out to a person in a spiritual condition, as, as you go forth and He is calling you to do it, He will make you able to do what you need to do. If Jesus is calling you to step out in faith in some area of your life and to deal with maybe using, maybe for the first time using some spiritual gifts that He has placed within you, step out in faith because He is able to make it happen. If God is stretching you beyond your natural comfort level, His, His word here is this. It is Jesus, as you trust Him, who will keep you from falling. And you know, you need to know that in Scripture, often in Psalms, it says, my foot was about to slip. You need to know there will be many times that your feet will be about to slip. You'll be in that and go, oh no, God. And God will come along. Because He is able. He's able to keep you, to guard you. And your obedience is evidence that you truly believe that God is able. You see, if you don't step out in obedience, you'll never put God to the test in the sense of seeing His ability come through in your life. But let me take this one step further. Not only is Jesus able, but what's more, He is willing. I love that. He is willing. Um, I have high school daughters now are high school and they're in teenage years. And there's times when I'll want to put my arm around their, their shoulder like I used to do. And they'll kind of pull away. And I'll say, you know, just do it for me. And then they'll go, oh, okay. I mean, they're able to do it, but they're not real willing. <clears throat> so sometimes I go, oh, big, you know, I don't even do it. You know, that kind of thing. You see, Jesus is not just able, but according to Scripture here, He is willing. He went after us when we were confused, when we were doubting, when we were far away from Him, walking down the road of sin, diseased in our own heart, with leprous hearts. And He, through His deep love for us, went all the way from heaven down to the cross, died on the cross for us, submitted Himself to that out of His deep love because He wanted us. And that's why He's able to do it. He has the power, but more than that, He has the love behind it. And tonight, what we're going to do in a few moments is celebrate communion, which is exactly this expression of His willingness. Every time we celebrate communion, it's an expression of the fact that He gave His body and He shed His blood because He loved you. So that Jesus would humble Himself and become obedient to death, even death on a cross. And His willingness, I love it in Scripture, extends, He says, to the degree that He didn't just rescue us, but He actually cleaned us up. He will present us without fault. And this brings great joy to God's face. Exceeding joy, but great joy to our face. 
That God would love us so much that He wouldn't leave us. You know, He, he didn't come by and, and pick us up and say, ah, you know, out of, kind of out of anger. Well, get back in here, you rascal. You know, throw us back into the rest of the body. You haven't been saved by someone who's kind of ambival- ambivalent and unconcerned. Well, you know, maybe, well, I guess maybe I should. You have been saved not by someone who needs to do this out of obligation or even duty. There is no should in Jesus' saving. He doesn't approach us and say, well, my father told me to come. And I'm just going to, you know, I've got to do this. You know what it says in, in, in Scripture? Jesus, filled with compassion, reached out. And it says in Luke that He set His face like flint. At a certain point in His ministry, He knew that He was called to die on the cross. And He was very aware of that. And, it, and He knew the time was to come. And it says like flint, hard, after the cross. He set His face and He took off after it. And it's almost as if He was way out in front and the disciples were behind trying to catch up to Him. That's how deep His love was for us. He wanted to race almost in a sense of the cross. Nothing would stop Him and nothing will stop him from saving you and doing what he wants to do in your life. He has all the ability to do it. There is not a stronghold in your life. You may be thinking, oh, this area in my life is hopeless, or this relationship I have with a spouse is hopeless, or I have this sin or this habit and it seems hopeless. And you may struggle for a while, and part of that struggle is the very will of God, but through it all, turn your eyes to him because he is able, and not only is he able, he's willing. But often He lets us come through that struggle in order that our hearts will long and cry out. And through that crying out, we call out to Him. And then in God in His ability, because He loves us so much, reaches out. And in the right time, He moves into our life. And He says, what exceeding joy are people who begin to discover that in their life. And uh, I just... One of the things that I just, as I've been preaching more and more through the years, and I've seen God work more and more in my life, I just stand up and almost want to, I just testify and say, this God is so good. And He wants to do great work in all our lives. And when you begin to move into that place, it's like Jay was saying, there's this exceeding sense of joy. God, you, you're crazy about me. I, I used to have a hard time saying that. Can you say that? Can you look in the mirror? I mean, I used to have to... I'd go, he's crazy about me. And I'd say, I feel foolish when I'd say that. But I've come to the conviction now, as I've seen the work of God in my life, as I've sought to trust Him and, and obediently follow Him, and He has come through again and again and showed me His ability, and even more than it showed me His willingness, I just go... God's crazy about me. He loves me so much, He will never let me go. You know what my only responsibility is? You know what our only responsibility is before God? It's just to trust. It's not on our shoulders. It's just to believe that He loves us that much. And to believe that, that, that under that love and and. and, and Beyond that love is this ability to do what He says He can do. No matter what is in your life right now, whatever He is calling you to, He'll do it.
And so that's why he kind of comes to the conclusion here. And he says, you know, I don't want to end with you kind of being afraid. And I don't want you kind of ending going, well, I'm not going to go out and reach these people. You know, there's people around me at work. And I don't want to get close to them because if I get too close to them, I'll have their kind of attitude. And he goes, that's not it. I want you to go out so confidently, so boldly in God's love, knowing that His hand is upon you and that He's holding you, and that it's He and His Spirit gives you impulses and prompts your heart, that you follow those promptings. And sometimes you'll go, this is crazy to follow, but when you do it and you see God show up, you go, wow! And you're filled with exceeding joy. And so then the last is this. Jesus is the only one, it says here in Scripture, the only one who deserves our life and praise. He's the only one. And to this is, is, what he, is what Jude comes to. I think is he's writing this. It's almost as if he's going to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault, with exceeding joy. And all of a sudden he thinks of that and his joy is welling up inside of him and he goes, to the only God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord. Before all ages and now and forevermore. And he just, he gets, he just exalts in, in the glory of God, which is this, this radiant splendor which comes from the very essence of his being. And this majesty, when you think of a ruler that is, is garbed in this incredible robes, that he's almost, in a sense, awe-inspiring. And he talks about this power. This power is his might or his dominion. It's the fact that everything, that is everything is within the reach of, of His control and power. There is nothing that is so far from His ability to touch. He has the ability to touch to the farthest place because this whole universe is in His hands. And authority, the sovereign freedom of His actions. That's why I think He, he ends on this. The fact that no one tells God what or what not to do. Not only does He have the power to control all, but He has the right to control all. No one tells Him what to do. Isn't that wonderful? And all this was made known to us, He says, and revealed to us, and, and has touched us experientially through our relationship with Jesus Christ because He is the conduit of our life, both His body and His blood, which we are going to take in a moment. So it is only appropriate tonight that we eat and drink with great joy because Jesus' ability and willingness to save us. And so every time you eat and drink these elements, you are proclaiming that Jesus is your true security. It's His love for you and not your love for Him. We get so caught up thinking if I could just do enough and if I, it's my love for Him. Even when we come to Christ and we've made this first faith step and we recognize that He died to save us, then we get back into this game that I've got to love Him harder and I've got to love Him more and I've got to love Him more like this. And if I do all this and God says, you know, it's about just learning more and more how to trust my love for you. And when you do that, the natural response will be you want to give your life, your praise, your love, your everything. And so we eat and drink. I almost want to take it like a toast. We eat and drink to Him. I mean, they do it in the world. You know, it's a way of honoring someone. We eat and drink to Him who is able to keep us from falling and who will present you and me before His glorious presence without fault, with exceeding joy in our hearts and His, because He is the only God and Savior filled with all those wonderful qualities.
And it's all because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Let's bow our heads and prepare our hearts for communion. And I want to ask you, if the Holy Spirit has raised some area in your life that needs right now to be touched by Jesus Christ, there is no better time to come before Him than this time of taking communion. It means that you have the opportunity to be in community with the Spirit of God. I mean, just imagine in your mind that Jesus Himself and His Holy Spirit and the Father are there. The four of you are sitting in a moment and you'll be taking communion and you'll have an opportunity to look them in the eyes and say, thank you for what you've done for me. And you'll have an opportunity for when there's maybe some sin or some need to confess to say to them, I am sorry. And and they'll be able to say, I have cleansed you by the work that was done 2,000 years ago on the cross. You'll have an opportunity to bring yourself before them. And once again, feed on the only thing that will give you life, and that is His love and grace. I'm going to ask the uh, ushers to come down, and we'll take communion in just a moment. But if you would, in prayerful time, just come before the Lord. That as you're kind of sitting here with the Lord, there's a sense where He says, I really love you. Um, I give you my body. I, I, I would pour, I, I have my body broken for you. And, and the common union is that our response to someone who loves us like that is to say, I want to give my, myself to you. Here's my body. Use me. Do me. With me what you so will. So the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body. It, it's for you, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat together.